I'm in the dining room today, so I wonder whether it'll be more echoey. How do you stop an echo in a room? To be honest, you might just have to say I'm in an echoey room today. We'll just explain it to the audience, it'll be fine. <laughs> it's not the worst thing we've not the worst thing I've done, I say we've done. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're technically on point most weeks. <laughs> I, on the other hand. We have to do a shout out. We've got another podcast to talk about. And this time it is History Impossible, which is a podcast all about historical people and events that you, you wouldn't believe if I told you, Tom. You would not believe if I told you. I wouldn't believe them. It's just that that crazy. But they are entirely true, so you should believe them. It's presented by Alexander von Sternberg and features some incredible stories like uh, German resistance after World War II and scandals in early Hollywood. It's, it is genuinely a really, really good podcast. I've listened to a few episodes now. It's cracking. If you want to check it out, we'll pop a link in the description for this episode, or you can search for History Impossible on your podcast app of choice. There's a new episode coming out, which uh, Alexander tells me may be up by the time I tell you about his podcast. If it's not, re-listen to this episode a few days after you first listen to it and it'll be up then. So the second time you listen to this, it should definitely be up. <laughs> or just listen to his one before. Yeah, or just listen to, episodes, yeah, listen to two episodes yeah. of his podcast. They're all good. <laughs> they They're are. all of a high standard, unlike <laughs> ours, which are a bit more patchy. <laughs> yeah, indeed. We're like an unloved lawn. Some areas are beautiful, verdant green, yeah. and some slightly muddy patches where the dog's done a shit. <laughs> some shit. <laughs> Some shady areas of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right, let's get on with our podcast. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the history podcast in which two friends on different sides of the world share stories on a theme each week from a forgotten corner of history. The theme is selected the week before, but everything else that happens during the podcast is unscripted, completely up to chance, and... Usually very childish. <laughs> Lots of dick <laughs> jokes. <laughs> and what is our topic this week, Tom? Well, it's sort of show. Shows, isn't it? Show. It's show week. Show Shows, week. Shows, showtime, theatre. Theatre, TV, TV. Uh, yeah. circus. It's very general. Yeah, it is very general. I like general ones. Strip clubs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anything where someone puts on a show. Indeed. Anyone in which you're allowed to put $1 bills into their underwear... That is fair game in this episode. Old people's homes. <laughs> yeah, why not? Children's choirs at Christmas. Yeah. How have you found this week, Tom? Yes, I. Yeah, I've. I've uh, it was quite clear. I've mentioned this. I've mentioned to this. I've mentioned this to you. Use your words. I've mentioned to this you. Bah for fuck's sake! I've mentioned this to you. This is going to go well. I'll message you, haven't I? The obvious route to go down when you talk about shows is theatre, and then theatre is obviously ancient Greece. Yes. So I desperately avoided going down the ancient Greek route because I do a lot of ancient classical stuff. But I went Victorian instead, and I know have I have done a little bit of Victorian stuff. Previously, but no, I've I've chosen a good one. I'm pleased with what I what I've got what I've gone for. Good. I've got an honourable mention for a bit of Greek theatre, purely because there's one line in it which has wonderfully stumped academics for two thousand years, Ooh. and it's a very funny line, which uh, we'll get to discuss a little bit. But that's my honourable mention today. I've steered clear of the Greeks as well. Good. I've gone for good. kind of Renaissance. 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 Very nice. Yeah. Oh, very cultural. Indeed, indeed. Talking of cultural things and cultured people, should we do some audience feedback? There have been some excellent comments. Yes, <laughs> yes. there have been some excellent comments this week. And I think I know which one we're going to go for first, don't we, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's quite good. I'll let you start. Parenting. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that yes, that, some very interesting parenting. The person who listens with their eight-year-old. Wow. Yeah. So thank you, uh, YTRVD6. I don't know how you pronounce that phonetically. YTRVD6, who I can only assume is Russian, who sends a message to say, "Great idea and excellent content. My eight-year-old daughter loves it, as do I." Keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much. But, <laughs> yeah. and it's a big but. <laughs> I mean, that was the first, that was the pilot episode, which was still pretty rude. I seem to remember Vagina Wednesday and um, various <laughs> other rude made-up names. Rude football teams, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, poor. Oh, yeah, anyway. Uh, who's Who are we to question their parenting methods, Sam? Uh, well, absolutely not. And I, I hope your eight-year-old is equally as enthralled with some of the language we use as the podcast goes on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it does get dear, ruder. oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, it does, there are certainly ruder parts. What else <laughs> did we have? Oh, we had that lady Frixie Dust in Canada. That's, thank you for mm. listening. She looks remarkably like a lady I worked with at a Waitrose in Somerset. Yeah. Just from her little circular picture. So um, maybe she is the same person. Have you moved? Have you moved to Canada from Waitrose in Stroud? No, it wasn't Stroud. I mean, there can't be that many people called Frixie Dust. It's a fairly unusual name. That's right. Her name was Frixie Dust. I should have made the connection. Yes. (laughs) Who's the other one? Um, Yvonne from Kenya. Who said that we cheer her up. Thank you so much. We're we're glad we do. And sorry you're having shitty days. Yeah. You can see professional help for that. (laughs) (laughs) We are not therapists, but we're glad that we're cheering you up. (laughs) Uh, what else did we get? There's a, a person from Milan and there's a person from Texas. They're, they're quite loyal listeners, aren't they? They've commented a few times. Yes. The, the Texan person is so Texan, they actually write Y apostrophe A-L-L. Y'all. Y'all. Yes, I love that. that yeah, which reminded happy. me of a chap who I think was from Texas, who I met backpacking in Australia. And when he got excited, he actually yee-hard. Fuck off, did he? He would actually get... He did. He'd get, he'd get excited. He'd go, yeehaw! Which I thought was fantastic. And the first time we did it, I started pissing with laughter. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was excellent. Fun fact. You can tell if someone is a Texan cowboy or a Canadian cowboy because uh, Texans say yeehaw and Canadians say woohoo, apparently. Is that so right? So there you go. If you come across a cowboy and you're wondering where in North America they're from... You can tell very quickly by how they exclaim excitement. Right. Or just put them on a roller coaster. Absolutely. Well, you can just you can place in front of them a six shooter and a bottle of maple syrup and see which one they grab for. <laughs> see which one instinctively brings a tear to their eyes. <laughs> very nice. Um, and if that fact is complete nonsense, which is fairly likely, um, please, <laughs> and, and you know better, feel free to write in and let us know. Trinovan Hawkins. Has, uh, she's commented... the Texan. He, she's no, she's... the Texan. He, she's the Texan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she also wrote. He, she also wrote. They want to hear the unedited bits. They want to hear the bits all we we you cut don't. out. Unfortunately, for obvious legal reasons, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to be sued by Bill Gates, Elon Musk, the Queen, Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's highly libelous. What gets Sting, cut out? Uh, <laughs> Bono, and or Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's fairly libelous. Occasionally, really not very funny, 
<laughs> quite, deep, quite often. What you hear is basically a highlights reel of our week. <laughs> often quite boring as well, because we're often <laughs> discussing rather yeah boring podcasty stuff. Um, yep. You don't want the unedited version, you really don't. You don't want uh, the unedited version. I like yet. her thirst for rudeness. She's basically <laughs> s- searching for more rude bits that she hasn't already heard. <laughs> like a gold miner. Like, I was thinking like a pig looking for truffles, snuffling yes. away, trying to find a turd joke somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of a gold miner looking for nuggets, uh, which again mm, could be a poo joke. Good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, what else? We ha- Actually, we've had one or two more, haven't we? We've had one or two more comments. Yeah, Miles. Miles is worth mentioning. Yep. Um, Miles. Um, Miles, not happy. I'm sorry you're not happy, Miles. Miles. I'm assuming you're not going to be yeah. listening to this. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if you are, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, Miles... Tom deals with constructive feedback really well, by the way. <laughs> if you've ever told him he can't cook, <laughs> you are in for a treat. <laughs> and by a treat, I mean a kick up the arse out of his house. <laughs> Get out of my fucking house. Miles said, I'm struggling to read this because it's badly written. Pathetic attempt at trying to be no such thing as a fish. You ain't funny. It is a very good podcast and we're not as good as them. I mean, he's not Sorry, wrong. In which case, Miles, thank you for your feedback. The we will endeavour to do better next time. We agree with you. Uh, that's Miles. That was a reference to our toilet paper of the Ancients episode, which I actually thought was quite a good episode. Yeah, me too. Can't win them all, though, Tom. Can't win them all. Who else? Simon Jermaine Russell. I think I think he's digging for a shout-out, personally, because he's commented, commented well, before. Well, he's bloody got one. <laughs> I've listened to every episode now. Just so you know, I'm a French-Canadian, and no, I'm not learning English from this podcast. Good for you. I love the pilot. It could have been an hour longer and it would still be great. I can assure you it was an hour longer originally. It was not great. I also have an... (laughs) Fact be fact. I also have an idea for a subject. What would you think about doing an episode on nearly avoided war slash armed conflict? I think think that's a good one. Juicy and not very widely known examples of that. That could be a really juicy one. There are some some great examples. There are some relatively well-known ones from... The Soviet Union and the USA have narrowly avoided nuclear war. Oh, of course, yes. Which are, they're, they're reasonably well known, but very, very good and very funny. So yeah. possibly avoid those ones, but we'll definitely do a kind of an honourable mention for those Cold War ones. I won't mention them now. They're very, very good. But yeah, that's an excellent idea. I thought that was a very good suggestion, Simon. Thank you for that. Yeah, we will uh, quite possibly do that in a coming week. Possibly next week. Who knows? We'll find out at the end. Ooh, an element of mystery. Listen on, audience. What a teaser. <laughs> I know, right? Don't say I never uh, refuse to give you what you want. What? Hang on. I don't... Yeah. I've never said that either, so it's just a weird <laughs> thing to say. It's just a yes. <laughs> right, what are we going to flip? What are we going to flip? Something legal-related. Legal-related? No, that no, was no, last no, that week. was last week. Show-related. Show-related. Sorry, yes, absolutely. My G-string. Oh, that's a show nobody needs to see. But a show that is very much on show. Far too frequently for your neighbour's liking. (laughs) Have you ever been tempted to be a stripper, Sam? Has it ever crossed your mind it'd be a fun job? (laughs) Do you know what, Tom? I actually got offered a job as a stripper when we were at university. Did you? Yes, I did. No offence or anything, Sam, but I know you're in good shape at the moment. I know you work out a lot since university. University, you weren't in such good shape. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Well... Well, in the last year... You had long blonde hair, though. I did Did have long blonde hair. Did they correctly predict your gender? drove the ladies wild. (laughs) No, well, it was in the last year when you and I were going to the gym quite a lot together. And so we were in reasonable shape right at the end. 
and there was the male strip club. I can't remember what it was called. Tricky Dickies, I think. Opened, opened in Birmingham. <laughs> and I think they were a little short on male strippers. So they came around the university gym and just kind of asked people if Is they'd be right? interested. How did I in... not know that? Yeah. And they were scraping the barrel. And they must have been desperate. <laughs> yeah. oh, you can't even dance. I mean, what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely cannot dance. No. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I did Can do? Can you though? strut? Are you a good strutter? Uh, I'm one of the best. I'm, my strutting Excellent. is right up there, top grade strutting. Yeah. Well, you just do a routine that involves a lot of strutting. Yeah. You know, the, the saucy, the saucy Nazi. You know, <laughs> saucy Nuremberg. Oh no. <clears throat> Goose well, stepping. That's a whole new meaning to well hung. The saucy Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Gustav Gangles. Look, look at them dangles. <laughs> oh, wow. I think that might be a new low. That might be even lower than <laughs> Heidi Heil. <laughs> no, I have never been a stripper. Have you been a stripper, Tom? No, I haven't. Not, it's crossed my mind because I like to let my mind wander down weird routes. But it's, <laughs> it, it's, and your it's balls wander free. It long. It's, been, it's been discarded quite quickly. Uh, as an idea well sorry audience that's a Christmas special you won't be seeing or hearing anytime soon (laughs) the only thing I like to strip off Tom is layers of historical inaccuracy nice yeah there we go I like that that was good back on Uh, track yes what are we flipping then it's not really very show related but I've got a I've got a shot list for a recent film production that I was involved in there we go shit part of the podcast (laughs) the flip Always gets edited down heavily. So, do you want the side that has everyone's phone numbers, which I shall not be repeating for data protection reasons? Or do you want the side that has where the fire exits of the venue were of the film studio? <laughs> the thrilling oh, world really, of TV production. really got me going. I know. Um, mm. Yeah, let's have the, the side with the fire exits. The side with the fire exits. Okay, it's getting flipped. It's flipped. And let me just check that I'm still recording so you don't have an issue like last week where your wheel twatted the keyboard and stopped your recording 40 minutes in. <laughs> no, we're oh, still good. that's probably what happened, wasn't it? Yes, that is what happened. <laughs> there was an almighty thud in the recording and then silence right. for 25 minutes as we <laughs> let rip with comedy gold that was only caught at my end. <laughs> and then we, then we oh, realised, stopped and redid the comedy gold. Which obviously oh, yeah. was much funnier even the better. second time around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was good the first time around, but it was even better the second time around. Like double-cooked chips. Right, you win, Tom. You win. You go first. I keep oh, going wow. first. Oh, wow, you're going to let me first. go first. Okay. Yeah, Ooh. I'd already oh. planned my answer. Okay. Like a good cricket captain, I've <laughs> assessed the lay of the land, and I knew which way I was going to go. Well, fingers crossed this isn't going to be a five-day international, because I know it's getting late for you. So, Tom... Uh, I, I did try. I really tried today, Tom, to come up with something that was actually theatrical <laughs> and right. really funny. So I looked up historically funny plays, historically controversial plays and playwrights who'd been executed for things that they'd written. And I kept on coming back. That's funny. Nothing funny than censorship and murder. So I looked up uh, all of these things and I kept on coming back to a very sweet and in its own slightly odd way, rather gruesome early example of a freak show, which I'm going to talk about in a bit. But as is traditional now, I do have an honourable mention and it is a pretty funny one and definitely very theatrical. And it's a Greek comedy 
by the playwright Aristophanes from the 5th century BC. Yes. Yes, and it is called Lysistrata. This is one of the earliest known anti-war plays, and it's all about a pact between the women of two warring cities to end the hostilities by denying their husbands any sex. Now, yes, I've heard of it's this. Quite, it's quite a well-known play amongst people who study ancient Greece. I studied it at university. Yeah. And these women, they all gather around and they say, we're sick of this. No more sex until you blokes stop killing each other. This is getting out of hand. And so the men, rather than fighting with each other, end up fighting with the women instead. And it's all very funny and very slapstick. Lots of old men get covered in water uh, whilst trying to set fire to the women. Ha 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 ha. But <laughs> it's particularly noteworthy for one passage which has been confusing academics for nearly 2,000 years and which still doesn't really have a definite answer. So, for some context, the women all make a vow to chastity for as long as the war lasts and they all chant together, no lover or husband shall ever come close to me with an erection. I've heard that one at Villa Park (laughs) on a Saturday. (laughs) No man shall ever come near me with an erection. Wasn't it it one of your vows at your wedding? (laughs) (laughs) Oddly, not your wife's. That was one of yours. <laughs> the women then go on to claim that they shall stay at home unfucked, dressed in their sexiest clothes and makeup. <laughs> Beg your pardon? Beg your pardon? <laughs> that is... Unfucked. Unfucked. Literal translation. Un- I'm quite used to the word fuck and it doesn't really shock me much, but you put un in front of it and that shocked me. <laughs> Suddenly it's a whole new word. Unfucked. <laughs> A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. No one shall fuck me here. Yes, they go on to claim that they shall stay at home unfucked, dressed in their sexiest clothes and makeup to drive the men wild. And they say, I shall not lift my slippers to the ceiling. I shall not lift up my slippers to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a great that line, is isn't brilliant. it? Yeah. It's a really good line. It's quite a funny play, you should check it out. Then after this, there's one of the oddest lines I've ever heard in a play. One of the women says, and I will not adopt the lioness on a cheese grater position. (laughs) Wow. I will not. The lioness on a cheese grater position. Let that sink in for a minute, Tom. Right. Because it sounds a little bit like a cat on a hot tin roof. It does not sound particularly sexy. And not particularly nice for for anyone involved with a cheese grater during sex. I know. It's... Unless it's someone with very dry, very callous skin. Uh, yeah, well, um, qu- well, quite, or a particularly rough beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I once slept with a lady with a very rough yeah. beard. Uh, one time I was going out with a Spanish lass. <laughs> right down to her knees, I tell you. <laughs> yes, so that goes right into the pantheon of uh, unpleasant-sounding sexual positions, alongside the porcupine on the upturned plug and uh, the slow loris on a Cliff Richard record. I it's really can't... <laughs> And again, these are translations. <laughs> yes, yeah, literal translations from the source. Yeah. So that's been baffling translators for centuries. Yeah, I mean, even in the Hellenistic period itself, even a couple of hundred years after this was written, people had literally no idea. Lioness on the cheese meant. grater. The lioness on the cheese grater position. Literally, PhDs have been written on this. Unless it's deliberately, <laughs> the, deliberately the possible stupid. meaning. It might be. That's one of the common theories today, is that it's deliberately stupid. The common belief since the Victorian period is that... Victorians were great at uh, the Victorians, if, yeah, if there sex. Was, if there was one thing the Victorians knew about, it was unusual sexual positions. 
it's commonly believed and has been commonly believed that it's doggy style it's the equivalent of doggy style today due to the shape of the classical greek cheese knife but no one really knows right. for sure Either way, it does sound quite painful and not especially fun. Unless you have a lot of dry skin, in which case it might be quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't really want to know what kind of cheese is getting grated in this. <laughs> At any rate, two and a half thousand years ago, some Athenian soldier getting very hot under the collar whilst listening to this play. Yes, very Whoa. good. Anyway, yes, I'll let you mull on that. Audience, if you have any ideas about what the lioness and a cheese grater could possibly represent, do send us an email. Not a picture message. Not a picture, get deleted. No, say that. Please, for the love of yeah. God, no picture messages. Use your words, people. Use your words. <laughs> that was geniuscast at gmail.com. Do get in touch. Anyway, Tom, my main story today is the sorry and slightly odd tale of Lazarus and Johann Battista Colorado, one of Europe's first known travelling freak shows. And there was something rather special about the brothers, Tom. Can you guess what it was? Uh, they were actually sisters. <laughs> well, Tom, these two Genoese twins were one of the first recorded cases of conjoined twins. Hmm. Not only that, they were the even rarer parasitic conjoined twins. Johan... Constantly trying to eat each other. Yeah. Let me know. Very heavily <laughs> nibbled <laughs> ears. <laughs> yeah. Constantly nutting each other. (laughs) Well, well. (laughs) You're only eating yourself. (laughs) Uh, You're not too far off. It's a little bit like the chest-bursting scene in Alien because Johan was growing out of Lazarus' chest. And whilst he had arms and one leg, he was completely reliant on his doting and very loving brother for survival. It's a, it's a really weird story. And we've got a great description of these two from a Danish anatomist called Thomas Bartholin, who uh, is quite well known. He'd go on to discover the lymphatic system, which uh, any medics out there, including both of our wives, will be very familiar with. You're making life pretty hard for me here, Sam. You, you're telling me you've basically got a sad story about a disability, and my job here is to make fun. <laughs> go wild, Tom. Go wild. <laughs> well, I mean... These are two guys who very much made their fortune, lived a very, very comfortable life off this disability. And actually, they didn't really treat it too much as a disability either. They, they really kind of uh, made, made the most of the hand they'd been dealt, or the forehands they'd been dealt. There we go. See, I can make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rather long quote from Thomas Bartolin, uh, this anatomist, but it's really quite an interesting one, so I think it's worth reading. I saw Lazarus Colorado, the Genoese, first at Copenhagen, after at Basel, when he was 28 years of age, but in both places with equal amazement. This Lazarus had a little brother growing out at his breast, who was in that posture born with him. If I mistake not, the bone, called uh, Xiphoides, I don't know what bone that is, uh, in both of them grew together. His left foot hung downwards, he had two arms, but only three fingers on each hand, and some appearance Mm. was there of secret parts. He moved his hands, ears and lips and had a little beating in the breast. So he did have his own heart and his own heartbeat. He has distinct animal and vital parts from the greater since he sleeps, sweats and moves when the other wakes, rests and sweats not. So completely independent people with their own lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. The natural bowels, as in the liver, spleen and so on, are the same in both. Johan hath his eyes for the most part shut. His breath is faint so that holding a feather at his mouth it scarcely moves. But there is a small and warm breath. His mouth is usually open and wet with spittle. His head is bigger than that of Lazarus, but deformed slightly, his hair hanging down whilst his face is upright. Both have beards. Lazarus is of a just stature, a decent body, courteous deportment, and gallantly attired. He covers the body of his brother with a cloak. 
nor would you think a monster lay within at your first discourse with him. Bit harsh. He seems always of a constant mind, unless that now and then he was solicitous as to his end, for he feared the death of his brother, presaging that when it came to pass, he too shall almost certainly expire with the stench and putrefaction of his body, and therefore he took greater care of his brother than of himself. So... Actually, two fairly normal guys, and and Lazarus would, when he was walking around, would cover his brother with a cloak, so as to avoid public stares and avoid embarrassing him. But when it got to court, he'd whip off the cloak, and the two of them would show themselves off to the court as an early show. Was it? Was the other one conscious? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was awake. He didn't speak for the most part. He could speak, but he didn't speak for the most part. And he, yeah, he was hungry. He he got hungry, and so his brother would have to eat for him. And he could move and he would engage with the audience. But he was completely reliant on his brother to live. He was just this second guy growing out of his brother's chest. And by all counts, Lazarus was tall, handsome, good looking. He just had a slightly less attractive twin brother growing out of his stomach. Which <laughs> was a bit of a distraction during sex. Well, so it well, just used to take place in a certain position. <laughs> the lioness and the cheese grater position. <laughs> the lioness and the cheese grater. Well... He actually did marry. Which one did? did La- Lazarus married. Right. So poor Johan was really the third wheel in that situation, wasn't he? Well, not not. I mean, it depends. Johan might be saying, "Well, actually, it's my penis." Well, uh, according to Bartholin's description, he did have some semblance of private parts, which, given that he was dangling from Lazarus's stomach, belly up, must have made for some quite awkward conversations when he got an erection, because it would have been tickling his brother's chin. Very, very strange. Yeah. They didn't just survive this pair. They really did thrive. They travelled all over Europe at a time when travelling in Europe was still very expensive and dangerous and slow in the 1630s and 1640s. And they lived off the largesse of curious royalty and aristocrats all around Europe. They went through Italy, Germany, Poland, Turkey, Scotland and ended up at the court of Charles I in Britain for a while. They, They were an internationally famous couple. And it wasn't just because they were, uh, you know, a, a bit of a freak show, one of the earliest known freak shows, but they were actually a thoroughly interesting and pleasant people to talk to, by all counts. Yeah, and, and, and a fascinating rarity, absolutely, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, conjoined twins surviving today, parasitically, is incredibly unusual. So for them yeah. to survive, and they survived, they lived into their 30s or 40s as well, so for them to survive with a condition like that, in the 1630s and 1640s. Unbelievable. Really quite amazing. And, a ma- and also, no doubt, an amazing mindfuck yeah. for philosophers. Well, absolutely. I mean, People trying to explain the world, because throughout human history, those sort of grey areas where you have things like conjoined twins have always posed problems, haven't they, for people trying to explain the world. Yes, and bear in mind as well, this was a time when people were still being burnt for witchcraft. Yeah. So being a demon, being a devil, being considered one of these a creature of Satan was a very real possibility. And as we as we know, Tom, who did people pick on to trial for witchcraft and demonry? The disabled. <laughs> the weak, the vulnerable. Yeah. Yes. yes. Unfortunately, not too much is written about whether they did have some kind of stage show. Maybe they did some kind of magic because you could do an awesome version. Slight of hands. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You could do an awesome version of the got your nose or removing the thumb trick, couldn't you, that you do with kids? <laughs> Just have your head moving up and down your body. Um, <laughs> fucking strange. There's a great story from a French historian called Henri Saval who met them a couple of times and actually once played them at handball. Right. So, which seems slightly unfair given one team is effectively playing as a doubles team <laughs> with four hands. Yeah. Something very, very interesting came out of this conversation, though, about the pair. Because 
their situation did throw up a unique moral conundrum. During the handball game, Lazarus told Soval, this historian, that his condition meant he'd actually gotten away with murder. And he claimed that he'd once stabbed a man and killed him after the man had insulted his brother. And the case had gone to court, All right. and Lazarus had been found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. There's no official record of this. The only record we have is in this story, so it, it could be completely made up. Yeah. But a good story that Lazarus liked to tell. So Lazarus claimed that he'd been sentenced to death for killing a man for insulting his brother. However, he'd argued with the judge that by killing him, the court was also sentencing his twin brother to death, since Johan was entirely dependent on him for survival. He wouldn't have lived more than a few minutes or a few hours without his brother. The court had been forced to let the pair walk free, choosing to punish neither rather than punish both and execute his entirely innocent brother. So he'd used his brother to get out of murder. Right. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting story? It, it, it is very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not too much you can say about that, but I thought it was fascinating. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. But that's sort of the kind of harks back to what I was saying about the the, the moral conundrums it presents. Absolutely, people trying to understand the world, especially when they're trying to understand it in a very and probably a more simplistic way than it deserves. Yeah, it's very, very strange. So the whole so right, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to mock conjoined twins. Well, I mean. This is my conundrum. Talk about their <laughs> conundrum. Here's the thing. Yes, it would be cruel to mock conjoined twins, but this is two guys who made a living and lived a very comfortable life out of making a career of this. And by all accounts, they were completely independently wealthy. They did this off their own back. They weren't forced into it. They didn't have any kind of minder. They really made the most of what is undeniably a bad yeah. situation. And lived happy and fulfilling lives. They lived into their 40s. Lazarus got married and had kids. Had kids? Yeah, they had. he had kids, yeah. How does this happen scientifically? It's, embry- it's in the embryo. Yeah. Um, so what an ha- embryo fails to split, doesn't it? So it splits in a way that would usually cause twins, but yeah. the split isn't complete. The split doesn't happen com- right. completely or possibly happens a little too late. And so the, the second fetus doesn't fully evolve. Develop, not evolve. Evolve was the wrong word. Mm. But yeah, two basically fully functioning guys who, by all counts, were quite happy. What's the, what was the, 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 host, the host's twin called, sorry? His name was... So Lazarus was the Lazarus, fully functional Lazarus, one. Lazarus. And Johan was the, what we very unfairly call, but it is the medical term, the parasite twin. Right, are there any more examples of this? Yeah, there were a Conjoined few... Conjoined uh, twins in history? Yeah, there have been a few freak shows that have taken on conjoined parasitic twins there was one in unsurprisingly america in the early 1900s and i can't remember the name now i've not got it in front of me but she earned an absolute fortune it was a woman with a parasitic conjoined twin in a similar position growing out of her chest and she was making about a thousand dollars a week at the beginning of the 20th century, which is a huge, huge amount of money. Mm, ripping it in. Yeah, absolutely. Split 50-50? Even how would you split it? A good question. 80-20? <laughs> good know? question. And she and her conjoined twin both had separate partners, I believe, but they were they had their own families. So they, they were very much functioning then. So yeah. it wasn't like there was just the face of one coming out of her ass. It was actually that they were sort of connected. <laughs> Connected by the connected by the little finger. That that, that would be a freak show and a half, wouldn't it? (laughs) Just the man with two faces on his ass. (laughs) Watch as he talks out of his ass. (laughs) 
He's got the, the the eyes on the arse roll upwards when he farts. He says, have you been eating sprouts again? <laughs> so, yeah, not much is known about the two brothers in their later life, but we do know that they absolutely thrived at a time when it was very, very dangerous uh, medically and morally to, to have a disability. So there we go. I'm going to leave that there, Tom, because I know that you're, you're struggling with it. You're having your own little moral conundrum now. I know. I am having a moral conundrum about how much fun to have. We don't have to be silly with them. We can just accept that it was a very interesting couple of guys who got away with murder on the count of being conjoined twins, which I think in itself is fascinating. Yeah. We're very good at handball, married, and toured the courts of Europe, being thoroughly pleasant and interesting people to talk to. Fair enough. Very good. Well, thank you for that, Sam. <laughs> you don't mean thank you. You mean sarcastically thank you for throwing me onto the fire. There's no possible way I can come out of this looking good. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Try and work with that one, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Take this material, shove it up your ass. <laughs> they weren't even French. I couldn't even do a French accent. You no, they were Italian. One of them French were... and one of them German. You know. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're Italian. I can't, yeah, exactly. I can't even do an Italian accent. Nothing to work with. <laughs> Talking about freak shows then, because that actually leads me quite nicely on to what I'm going to talk about, which is Victorian penny gaffs. Oh, I once knew a lass called Penny Gaff. <laughs> penny Gaff, yeah. Penny Gaff. Two packets of Monster Munch behind the bike shed since you'd do anything you wanted. Well, actually, that's actually fairly accurate for the people who were going to look at the penny <laughs> right. gaffs. I do this, don't I? I have a tendency to... Yeah, yeah. Quite astute comment, believe it or not. <laughs> so the rather famous Elephant Man, I mm. read somewhere, did the rounds of these penny gaffs. Although I do find that hard to believe because I did re- I've researched these penny gaffs in quite a lot of depth. And... Um, so uh, Joseph Merrick, wasn't it? Was the, was the guy's name? Yes, yes. They were re- they were even below. They were almost too seedy for freak shows. Oh, so, oh Jesus! Penny gaffs. <laughs> it's a bit like this podcast. Yeah, raucous, ridiculous penny gaffs of London town. They weren't only in London. By all accounts, there were some in other cities of Great Britain, but there seemed to be most of them in London town called Blimey Misses. And etymologically. Penny gaffs were named after the cost of entry, after a mere penny, obviously, and gaffs, which were cockfighting pits. So gaff is a name for a cockfighting pit. Yes, you talk about cockneys, we'll talk about going around each other's gaffs. Is that right? I read it was a cockney term. Yeah, when I'm trying to sound working class to tradesmen, I often ask, how's the chief? Is he coming around the gaff today? Yeah, Would and you they like go, a brew? fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they say, uh, excuse me, I'm an... Uh, I'm an Oxford-educated theatre student. Fallen <laughs> on hard times. <laughs> yes, and, and no connection to the the word gaffer either. I researched that. I thought there might be a connection, but there's no connection between the word gaffs and gaffer. For those who don't know, gaffer is a sort of Cockney term for manager of a football boss, team. Or yes. a boss, yeah. Anyway, gaffs, they were very popular in London during the middle of the 19th century and are fascinatingly tacky, coarse and rambunctious. And they certainly were. <laughs> Welcome to That Was Genius again. <laughs> yeah, it's very A apt. joke worth making twice. <laughs> they certainly weren't classy theatres for the rich and the important, uh, as Miles will probably advocate for. Uh, certainly didn't have the finest actors performing the finest Shakespearean plays. Uh, these penny gaffs were tucked away in the funniest, most awkward nooks and crannies of London back rooms, bars, vacant shops, stables, warehouses, and commonly consisted of stalls badly put together stalls in front of a crude stage surrounded by precariously built seating and the venues would usually seat between 50 to a few hundred people here's a little quote and through 
through all of this, I've looked at numerous sources during today. I'm not actually going to tell you where the sources are from, but um, I'm going to quote lots of sources. I won't give you the, uh, the the names of the people who wrote these things down. Here's the first quote. The <laughs> Effingham I stole Saloon. off Wikipedia and forgot to write down the names. No, no. There were lots of them. There were, lot, there, were, there were lots of sort of passing references to these gaffes in various sources from the Victorian period. The Effingham Saloon, with real boxes, a real pit, and a real gallery, dreadfully dirty, and with a dirtier audience. So that leads us on. Who attended these shows? Well, it's basically the great unwashed, which I researched them. Incidentally, it's a phrase that was first recorded in 1830 by Lord Edward Buller-Lytton, a British politician. There you go. Interesting fact. He sounds right down with the kids, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he also was the first person to coin the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. This same chap, the same politician, which I thought was quite interesting. Interesting indeed. Quick tip for listeners, though, don't take a biro to a sword fight. Or a spear to a writing competition. No, no. <laughs> unless, yeah, well, I was going to say unless you're Stephen Seagal, but that doesn't, I can't imagine Stephen Seagal turning up with a spear to a writing competition. Unless no. <laughs> Putin was putting it on or something. <laughs> anyway, so this was this was basically very, very working class entertainment in the Victorian period. Here's another quote. Uh, this is actually from, a, from someone who attended, one of the young men. As for going to church, why, I can't afford it. Besides, to tell the truth, I don't like it well enough. The penny gaffs is rather more in my style. The songs are out and out and makes our gals laugh. The smuttier the better, I thinks. Bless you, the gals likes it as much as we do. Sound a bit like our listeners, don't they? <laughs> Making comments, asking for more knob jokes. The more, the better. Here's another quote. This is actually from someone who's visiting. So it seemed to be very popular for Victorian writers who were uh, writing commentaries on Victorian culture to go to visit these gaffes. Quote, It chanced to me to visit a penny gaff. These are, high, these are very abbreviated, by the way. A great part of the proceedings were indecent and disgusting, yet very satisfactory to the half-grown girls and boys present. Never was the theatre so full, never was the audience so excited, never did the scum and refuse of the street so liberally patronise the entertainment as when deeds of violence and blood were the order of the night. Lovely. <laughs> sounds, sounds like your standard theatre critic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, here's another quote, here you go. Forward they came, bringing an overpowering stench with them, laughing and yelling as they pushed their way through the waiting room. One woman carrying a sickly child with a bulging forehead was reeling drunk, the saliva running down her mouth as she stared about her with a heavy, fixed eye. Two boys were pushing her from side to side while the poor infant slept, breathing heavily as if stupefied through the din. Lads jumping on girls' shoulders and girls laughing hysterically from being tickled by the youths behind them. Everyone shouting and jumping presented a mad scene of frightful enjoyment. It's just a... A raucous evening for working-class young people. And what absolute ponce is writing about it. Yeah, yes. It's imagining one guy in a top hat and tails there amongst you. <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. It's pretty, yes. There are lots of lots of sources of these um, these social commentators going to these events, and that's exactly what it sounds like. And they, they even comment that people were looking at them funny. It sounds like the kind of person who goes to the red light district in Amsterdam just for quote unquote a look around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Research. Yeah, just having a look. <laughs> yeah. it. It does come across like that, doesn't it? I imagine they were enjoying it just as much as the next man in the top hat. Monocles popping out left, right, and centre. In fact, <laughs> I, in fact, part of me is imagining that there's only about two local drunks there. The rest of them were all people in top hats and monocles trying to look cool and down with the kids, a bit like hipsters. 
jumping on top of each other, <laughs> laughing hysterically at rude yeah. jokes, bumping around. Yeah, Sounds a bit eaten, doesn't it? It sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. It does sound an awful lot like today, going to the darts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to watch the darts. It, it, oh, yeah. It does sound incredibly raw, because I'm trying to think of a, of a good analogy. I think darts is a good analogy. Uh, bingo, maybe. Yep. Um, school disco. <laughs> Any Butlins bar on a well, we, I, <laughs> I almost said that myself. Night. We're going to come on to Butlins, um, okay. <laughs> and what a classy establishment that was, or still is. Anyway, to the entertainment, Penny Gaffs existed at the same time as Penny Dreadfuls. Have you heard of either of these things, incidentally, Sam? I've heard of a Penny Dreadful, yeah. Excellent. So, Penny Dreadfuls for listeners were essentially very cheap and cheerful comics uh, with serialized stories that targeted young adults. In fact, here's a very interesting fact for you. Sweeney Todd originates from a Penny Dreadful, first published in 1847, 1848. Mm. Yeah. Sweeney Todd was created by a Penny Dreadful. These were as tacky, as gruesome, as base as the, as the Penny Gaffs. There were stories about Dick Turpin, vampires, anything else murderous and horrific. Um, and these stories were Sounds acted brilliant. outwards. <laughs> yeah, they sound great. Yeah, Just really shit comic books. So the stories that I mentioned, things like Dick Turpin, Sweeney Todd's, these were acted out on stage at Penny Graphs, but with really shit actors, really shit costumes, <laughs> shit props, shit sets, basically like a school production. I mean, that's what yeah, we I was going to say, as someone who's done amateur dramatics in my village hall before, I feel at home. <laughs> <laughs> I feel at home already. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Penny Dreadfuls, literacy was not an obstruction, though, for Penny Gaffs. Um, and despite rapidly increasing literacy during the Industrial Revolution in Great Britain, the vast majority of working-class youths struggled to read or write properly. So the penny gaffs were a great form of entertainment for them. But these stories were not the only part of these penny gaff shows. There were lots of there was lots of audience participation. Usually, very I said that in a very Sean Connery way. Participation. <laughs> participation, which is money penny. <laughs> Octopushy, you are invited to participate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there were lots of audience participation, always poorly and cruel. Here's another quote, just to give you an idea of some of the things that went on. The performance was commenced by a black man with broad rings of red round his ankles and wrists, illustrative, as presently appeared, of his suffering from the chafing of the manacles he had worn in a state of slavery. It was a very long descriptive ballad, and the audience, who had possibly heard it on a few previous occasions, expressed a desire that the singer should cut it short but beginning the sixth verse in all coolness, somebody threw a largest crust of bread at him, which narrowly missed his head, and somebody else threw a fishbone with more certain aim. He glared to the right and the left of him, and apparently, marking the delinquent in the pit, jumped off the stage and rushed towards him. What then transpired I cannot say, not being in a position to see, but after a minute of uproar and cursing and swearing and yelling laughter, the black man scrambled onto the stage again, with a good deal of the blacking rubbed off his face and with his wool wig in his hand, exposing his proper short crop of carroty hair. "'Now looky here!' exclaimed he, with a desperate but not entirely successful effort to deliver himself in a calm and impassionate manner. "'Looky here, if you thinks by choking me off to get at a new piece a bit sooner, you're just wrong. When I've done a singing, then the piece will be ready, and not an oat before, and the more you interrupt, why, the longer you'll be kept awaiting, that's all.' And having expressed these manly and British sentiments in genuine Whitechapel English, he readjusted his wig and became once more an afflicted and continued and was about to commence the ninth when someone behind the scenes audibly whispered, off Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> Two bouts of racism in one there. Absolutely, exactly. 
<laughs> having to go to gingers and blokes. But it was it was very, very commonplace. So this is just an example of just how crude it was. Very, very common for actors to be blacked up. So that was quite a common uh, common sight. As we know, a very questionable form of entertainment. I was researching this today, Sam. I didn't realise that the black and white minstrels was actually a BBC-owned show. Oh, yes. I thought oh, it, yes. I, I assumed it was American for some reason. It ran until to inform, 1978. educate, and entertain, Tom. <laughs> to inform, educate, and entertain. Yeah, it ran until 1978. The black and white minstrels, and stage shows were still being shown in the late 80s at places like Butlins. Classy, classy Butlins. Yeah. <laughs> classy, classy Justin Trudeau. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So, yeah, there were lots of stale and offensive stereotypes like blacked-up actors capturing missionaries and boiling them in cold winds. They were all very, very popular. So it's very, very cliché stuff going on at these penny gaffs. Bad versions of Shakespeare were common. Is there such a thing as a good version of Shakespeare? <laughs> I, I've never liked Shakespeare either. I'm glad you said that. Uh, I've always found it boring and difficult to understand. Yep. yep. Very painful having to do Shakespeare. And this from two classics graduates, so... We understand, hard to understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I say so myself. If I say so myself. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't like Shakespeare, never have done. So bad versions of Shakespeare were common. I came across an account of one Penny Gaff's version of The Taming of the Shrew, which ended with a violent pantomime cudgelling of a wife by husband, much to the delight of the audience. Da, da, um, da, 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 da. Hey! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There were various forms of animal baiting, shrews, cocks, those sort of things. Shrew fighting. Shrews, yes. Well, I, I read that one account. Desperate. That's a, that's a desperate sport, isn't it? Well, Gather I, I, round and watch the shrews fight. <laughs> a, shrews, a shrews not very violent? I don't know. They're um, tiny little mice with cute noses. Oh, they're not. They're longer, aren't they? I think of them as like longer little rodents. Bigger than a rat, though, aren't they? No, you're thinking of ferrets. I am thinking of ferrets. Shrews. Let's have a look at a shrew. God, they aren't very big, are they? No, they're like the size, the size of a fingernail. That's yeah. a shit spectator sport. <laughs> Christ, it is, isn't it? I was, I was. <laughs> fuck me. They are really scraping the barrel. Mind you, actually, actually, there's quite a few videos of shrews fighting on BBC Earth and the National Geographic YouTube channel. Google has just told me. So you know, pretty ferocious for little guys, but at the same time, not a great spectator sport. No, I'm fairly sure it was shrew, unless I accidentally, unless I've written that down incorrectly, because I was talking about the taming of the shrew, and it was actually ferrets. Oh well, I won't bother to check. Some miscellaneous woodland animal. <laughs> pixies. Um, <laughs> pixie, pixies. Pixie fighting, that'd be great. Pixie fight! <laughs> Magical pixie fight, go! Be Come like, on! Be like Street Come Fighter on. or Mortal Kombat, yeah. throwing potions. But with like names like Glitterpath and... <laughs> Toadstool tits. Get him, Sparkle Shine, rip his fucking head off! <laughs> ah! <laughs> that would be good fun. Tag team imp fighting, tagging in a gnome. Gnome runs in, <laughs> takes off his hat, <laughs> smashing someone think, with his uh, fishing rod. <clears throat> the RSPCWF would have words about that. That's the uh, Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Woodland Folk. <laughs> <laughs> Priapus comes in and just cudgels everyone with, cudgels with his cock. Massive Roman do, dick. Do giants count? Because they would have an unfair advantage, wouldn't they? I've always thought the giants are more mountain folk than woodland folk. Different sport, Tom. Different league. That was just a, a slight window into your nerdy past there, Sam. <laughs> did, you, did you used to play with Warhammer? I did not. And 
uh, not even seen all of the Lord of the Rings films <laughs> or read the book. Oh, okay. You, you win points. You win cool points for that. <laughs> Got them back. Yeah, it might be true. So I don't know. But I read one account. It was either Shrew or a Ferret. For some reason, I think it was a Shrew. And uh, the account is of a guy at the theatre putting on a show. He's he's poking and prodding a Shrew to make it angry, and then putting it in an arena. Anger the Shrew. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to it than just that. That wasn't the entertainment. And tonight, the angry shrew. I'm really pissed off. I'm really angry. I have written a strongly worded letter. I'm livid. My river's been polluted. So, um, angry, angering a shrew and then putting it in an arena with a rat. And the shrew that would then beat up the rat, drag it to its death. And uh, the next oh, wow. audience would come in, the next load of, of spectators would come in, and the same thing would happen again. Um, the shrew wow. would be pissed off, and then the shrew would be put in an arena, it would wrestle a rat to death, and then that rat would be thrown on the pile <laughs> of other rats. And that is the sausages in buns sorted for tomorrow's catering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rat on a stick, classic Terry Pratchett. <laughs> As you go and watch Buster the prize-fighting shrew. <laughs> I thought... Oh, well, I didn't think, but I hoped what you were going for then is that the shrew would be angered and then thrown into the amphitheatre against a load of gladiators, <laughs> poking at it with their tridents as this angry, angry shrew just leaps at them, kind of backing Really cowardly off. gladiators. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. Just, just a rat in a little suit of armour. <laughs> just a load of gladiators running around going, ah! Wait until we oh. throw the spider in. A six-foot guy from Asia Minor, happy as Larry, I'll happily kill him. But, oh, a shrew. <laughs> ah, get off. the shit out of me. Jumping on your open-toed sandals. <laughs> anyway, yes, carry on. That wasn't where you went, and I'm disappointed, but... Nibbling at your toes. And there's, <laughs> there's lots of base jingoism. So sort of think Daily Mail, just appealing to people's base natures. There's one account, for example, of a blacked-up actor dressed as an American slave, invading the stage, screaming his support for Napoleon in French. Another actor dressed as a sailor gives him a kick in the crotch, then he runs off screaming and everyone cheers and simultaneously starts singing God Save the Queen. That's like a crossover between the Daily Mail and an episode of Sharp. (laughs) (laughs) What you mean is, Sean Bean ran on stage, (laughs) kicked the actor in the nads and ran off while singing God Save the Bastard Queen. Well, for anyone who's ever seen Sharp, knows that Sean Bean was everywhere during the Victorian period. Yes, he was. Yes. Absolutely everywhere, of important well, places of importance and places of not much importance, like yes. a Penny Gaff in London. <laughs> yeah. So, Penny Gaffs were seen by the more respectable members of society as basically hotbeds of disgraceful behaviour. Um, here we get finish off with a couple more quotes. As they at present exist, they are nothing better than hotbeds of vice in its vilest forms. And another quote. Here the stage, instead of being the means for illustrating a moral precept, is turned into a platform to teach the cruelest debauchery. The audience is usually composed of children so young that these dens become the schoolrooms where the guiding morals of a life are picked up. And so precocious are the little things that the girl of nine will, from constant attendance at such places, have learnt to understand the filthiest sayings and laugh at them as loudly as the grown-up lads around her. And so, eventually, these were basically closed. They existed from uh, for most of the middle part of the 19th century, and there, there seemed to have been various attempts to control what was going on at these penny gaffs, and eventually they just sort of petered out. Uh, but they did kind of, ev- and you can, you can understand how, these kind of evolved 
into music theatre. Vaudeville shows, I guess. Yeah, yes. so, so music yeah. theatre kind of ran alongside as a slightly more middle-class form of entertainment, but they were reasonably similar. You know, the, the sense of humour, that we know that a music theatre was generally quite innuendo-ridden. A lot of the songs are, are, are full of rude innuendos. <laughs> yes. And that has carried through into... 1970s, 80s British comedy, has it, quite clearly? It has, and indeed, millennial podcasts. <laughs> millennial podcasts that, that often reference 70s and 80s British comedy. And so, <laughs> yes. yeah, a, a long history, a long British history of being rude, um, slightly racist, uh, Not well, no, not slightly racist, overtly <laughs> racist. Incredibly racist. Incredibly racist, vulgar. And course, yes, um, there you have it, Sam. So that's the penny gaff. And if you've ever gotten into a uh, hackney carriage or black cab in London, you will know that that is still very much <laughs> I don't... the Cockney way of thinking. Is that right? I've, I don't think I've ever been in a taxi in London. Haven't you? Oh, it's a treat. It's a treat. Imagine, if you will, the joys of paying £60 for a 15-minute <laughs> car journey with someone who expects a tip for shouting racist obscenities at you. It's at, at you, a white <laughs> Englishman. <laughs> well, at you in the hope fucking that you'll Casper. join in. Hey, I think. Look at you getting in the back <laughs> of my fucking cab. Aye, <laughs> aye, cornflake. <laughs> oh, sun came out for twenty minutes a day. Did it fucking burn? Yeah, yeah, fucking. You pasty white bastard. Oh, I like that we managed to make Cockneys Northern. Yeah, hey, I, I, make, I make most people Northern. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's <laughs> what you can do. There you, so there you have it, Penny Gaffs. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, they they sound like fun. <laughs> I did try and research some of the rude songs from music theatre, but I struggled to find any of the lyrics, which was quite disappointing. And yeah, songs, I did actually. I did. Yeah, rude songs were common, very, very common in these Penny Gaffs as well, but I just couldn't find any of the lyrics to these songs. I'm sure I could if I had delved a little bit deeper, had a bit more time to look into it. But that was a bit of a disappointment. I did the same. I was I looked into rude musical songs because I was going to try and learn a couple on the guitar and we could have a bit of a of a Christmas sing along. <laughs> but alas, no. Oh well, that's a pity. I'm really disappointed that didn't happen. <laughs> well, instead, you got the harrowing story of conjoined twins forced to uh, entertain tops for food. So, you know. a very light-hearted story. <laughs> da, 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 da. Hey. hey. Glad to see that terrible innuendo riddled puns has had a long and happy life and continues today in podcast form. Yes, very much so. I think I think we're just taking on the baton. The baton that's been handed from person to person for hundreds of years in British culture. Yes. <laughs> uh, we should probably think of something to do next week, shouldn't we? Well, actually, we don't have to think of something to do next week because Simon came up with an idea for us, didn't he? Yes, very good idea from Simon. Did we discuss that at the start of this episode? I think we did. Was that didn't quite happen yes nearly happened or were narrowly averted yeah. yeah that's a good one i'm sure there are some funny stories in the nooks and crannies of history but uh, that we can find i think that's going to be uh, an excellent one we're, well firstly we should tell the audience we're not going to do an episode next week because it's boxing day and you're probably not going to be listening but we do finally have the that was genius interview with qi and blackadder creator john lloyd which we're going to post up instead so you're going to be hearing this on let me just check my dates well it's going to be the thursday after boxing day which by that time you'll have fallen out with your relatives anyway so you may well have narrowly avoided a war yourself or been involved and you'll be overweight (laughs) you're probably going to be listening to this as you're running along 
with New Year's resolutions to lose that three kilos you put on? What are you doing for Christmas? Bringing in your ears. <laughs> we'll be very motivational. That, our next recording will be very motivational to keep you going as you're trying to lose those three kilos. Yeah, we'll have some pumping techno running through it. <laughs> just a with sick, a, like a bleep test. Beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just start talking faster and faster. <laughs> and you have to get to the end of the gym, at the end of your street by each fact. <laughs> an awful idea isn't it it might work we've got to give it a go it's a crossover it's a brilliant fitness history crossover what am i doing for christmas we are heading uh, down south to see my family and then back up north to see my wife's family oh nice i'm, I'm gonna spend the i'm gonna spend the christmas on a beach oh, of course it's summer where you are isn't it whilst i'm warming my cockles you'll be uh, polishing your beach balls I, I will i'll be bouncing my beach balls along the beach <laughs> indeed spot, as a spot of exercise Dangling my nuts amongst the crabs. <laughs> that's not even a euphemism or innuendo, is it? That's just that's just your testicles and crustaceans meeting in a way that it was just it was just a, re- a, a regrettable a regrettable few months on Tinder. Yep. <laughs> well, on that note, we should probably say goodbye to our audience. Don't 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 forget, audience. <laughs> don't don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget, no. And don't forget to send in your questions for our question and answer session. Keep it, which keep we'll it clean. Be putting out first thing in the new year. Don't keep it clean. Be filthy. Be absolute dirtbags. We'll answer anything. <laughs> Literal gobs for hire. <laughs> oh, gobs for hire. <laughs> have that. Not in that sense. Have those graphics on your side of your car. It's like that scene from 1984, isn't it? Did that always creep you out when you were a kid reading 1984, where um, the the main character, what was his name, Winston Smith, goes to see a prostitute? I have never read 1984, and I am oh dear rare enough as an individual to admit that I've never read it. Have you read Animal because Farm? Because everyone insists. I have read Animal Farm, oh, that's yes. Right. Uh, the bit where he hires the pig and... Oh, that was David Cameron, <laughs> sorry, yes. Everyone's sexy, just some more sexy than others. On this farm. You can't put lipstick on a pig, Tom. <laughs> Turns out the saying is wrong. <laughs> anyway, yes, do send us your questions. You can email us, that was geniuscast at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on social media or your podcasting app of choice. We are on Facebook, that was genius podcast. We're on Twitter, that underscore was underscore genius. And we're on Instagram, at that was genius. So do send us your questions. And we should probably say goodnight, shouldn't we? Yes, goodnight and Merry Christmas. Good night and Merry Christmas. Yes, if you celebrate and it. A happy New Year. A happy New Year, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. Otherwise, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, free holiday, whatever you're celebrating. Free, yeah, yeah. Get fat, be merry, then sit scratching your ass, regretting life decisions whilst listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in 2020, when 2019 will literally be history. We could discuss the podcast, couldn't we? That could be in the future episode. Yeah, we're part of the problem now. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. You stitched me right up. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? I was I was dreading this recording, Sam, because you told me what you were going to do, and I looked at it earlier today, and I went, "Oh fuck." <laughs>